press the follow or subscribe button in your podcast app to get daily updates from the front. From the journalists of The Australian, here's what's on the front. I'm Claire Harvey. It's Thursday, July 21. Shockingly unethical conduct and misuse of taxpayers' money. Victoria's anti-corruption watchdog has torn strips of Daniel Andrews' Labor government. The Premier's admitted the factional system is seriously flawed, but says he's the man to fix the problems. What the report table today shows is absolutely disgraceful behaviour, and I apologise for it. Teaching students working in classrooms from their first semester. That's the key idea in a new plan for a national education shake-up, revealed by The Australian Today. As the nation battles a chronic shortage of teachers, two of the country's leading education ministers will urge their counterparts to totally overhaul the system, including by getting students out to the chalk face. More on that story later in the episode. Sorry we messed up your mortgage. That's the message from Reserve Bank Governor Philip Lowe, who's admitted the bank misjudged the rising threat of inflation during the pandemic. Prices are spiralling and the RBA is frantically trying to make up for lost time now by hiking up Australians' mortgages. Stay with us. In just a moment, we'll be back with Dr Lowe's Mia Culpa and why Anthony Albanese's firing a warning shot at the Reserve Bank. Sorry about your mortgage. That's the remarkable admission from the Reserve Bank Governor Phil Lowe, who's out defending the bank as Anthony Albanese warns the RBA not to overdo it with rate rises. The Reserve Bank is trying to suppress the rising prices of everything from petrol to lettuce. I'm joined now by the Australian's economics correspondent, Pat Commons. Pat, why is Phil Lowe feeling the need to defend the bank? Well, Claire, there's a couple of good reasons. To start with, it was only late last year that Phil Lowe was saying that rates would stay at virtually zero for the next two years. Um, And then a few months later, his tune had changed uh, very significantly. And since May, we've seen a, a number of very sharp interest rate rises with more to come. So inflation really took off at the beginning of this year. The RBA totally missed it. And a lot of people would have taken out loans, uh, perhaps at their limit. A lot of first-term buyers were lured into the market by the thought that, oh, well, rates are going to be low for a while, only to find that now their repayments are going to be uh, jumping up quite quickly. The other one is that it was a pre-election commitment from Jim Chalmers, the Labor Treasurer. He um, said that he wanted to do a big review of the Reserve Bank to make sure that it was fit for the times. Today I announced the first wide-ranging review of the setting of monetary policy and the Reserve Bank uh, since the current arrangements were instituted in the 1990s. This is an important opportunity to get the ball rolling on the Reserve Bank review that the country desperately needs to make sure that the setting of monetary policy is done most effectively, into the future as well. We haven't had a review of the Reserve Bank in 
30 years or so. So at the same time as the Reserve Bank is copying criticism over missing the inflation, misleading the public to a certain degree into what was going to be happening to rates in 2022. So um, all these things happening at the moment. And that's why Dr. Lowe has come out at our business forum and uh, defended the bank's performance. He's not the first Reserve Bank governor to come under fire. It's entirely appropriate for the government to take stock of Australia's monetary policy framework. It's something that we welcome. It's pretty easy, I think, for politicians to have a go at the Reserve Bank when they're making unpopular decisions. Is it widely accepted in the economics community, Pat, that they really did make a mistake, that the Reserve Bank really was caught flat-footed by the rise in inflation? Oh, absolutely. And Dr Lowe has admitted that himself. He said it was embarrassing that they missed it so badly, um, which is which is a remarkable thing for a public figure to say. At the time the decisions were made to provide this support, the outlook was truly dire. In Australia, tens of thousands of people were expected to die. Many people were expected to lose their jobs and we were expecting deep social and economic scarring. And it was a really scary time. In this environment, the Reserve Bank had a very strong insurance mindset. With the benefit of hindsight, it could be argued that we took out too much insurance. But that's the nature of insurance, isn't it? And he should be given, to a certain degree, he should be given plaudits for admitting it. I mean, he's not a politician. He's very much a, a technocrat. He is doing what he believes is best for the country. He's absolutely committed to that, so no one should ever doubt Phil Lowe's commitment to doing what's best for the Australian public. That said, they got it very, very wrong. One of the things the government has talked about is looking at the composition of the Reserve Bank board, you know, who's on it. Is this about trying to get a more diverse group of people who perhaps have themselves struggle with a mortgage onto the board making decisions? Yeah, I think that is part of it. There's a panel of three experts. They've given this terms of reference which said, just go for it. Tell us what you reckon would be the best thing for the... What should a RBA of the future look like? And part of that is its governance. That's probably received quite a bit of um, attention. It's because there's a lot of economists out there who believe that there aren't enough economists on the board. And then there's a lot of people in the labour movement uh, who believe that there should be a union representative on the board, not representing the union, but representing workers, you know, and the voice for workers. So there has been um, union representatives on the board before. There was Bob Hawke before he became prime minister. And then after that, Bill Kelty, and he was the last uh, union representative on the board. Patrick Commons is The Australian's economics correspondent. Coming up, the big shake-up coming to classrooms. My name is Manny Karoudis and I'm a former New South Wales policeman turned investigative reporter with a passion for missing persons cases. I'm here to quickly tell you about our True Crime Australia podcast, The Missing. In this series, I look at old missing persons cases which have all gone cold in an attempt to try and uncover new information which could help see these missing people reunited with their loved ones or any form of clue that could bring these families closure. The Missing is available now wherever you get your podcasts and early and ad-free on Crimex Plus on Apple Podcasts.
In an exclusive from the Australian, university students would work as assistant teachers under a new idea for a national shake-up of teacher training to be driven by the biggest states, New South Wales and Victoria. Natasha Beda is the Australian's education editor. Natasha, department heads from all states and territories met yesterday to discuss how to fix the chronic teacher shortage. What did they come up with? Well, the heads of departments met and talked about the chronic shortage, which in New South Wales alone is a shortage of uh, 3,000 teachers over the next five years. The problem is that the states and territories are purely poaching from each other. And so New South Wales and Victoria are looking for some national collaboration and standard rules to fast track more teachers into the classroom. So deploying uni students into the profession is not really a new idea, is it? It happens in nursing, for example. Exactly. It happens a lot in the health professions where they have a lot of practical, hands-on experience. In teaching, it doesn't tend to happen until their fourth year at uni, which is often too late. And and a lot of teachers complain that when they start a job, they're thrown in the deep end. They don't know how to control a class. They're right out of their depth. But this system would have them going to classes. It might be once a week or it might be three or four week blocks during the year from their first year at uni when they're training in in an education degree. So what else have they come up with? Is there any possibility that they would stop poaching one another's teachers? I I doubt it very much. And you can't stop people moving across borders. But in New South Wales, they're paying a $30,000 bonus to try to get teachers to go to remote and regional areas. And as they pointed out, if, if their teachers go to the Northern Territory, they have a hard time getting them to come back to New South Wales. But I think the issue is not so much the poaching, but just getting more people training as teachers. Part of that is getting more school leavers to become teachers. The other thing is to recruit more mid-career professionals. So you might be an accountant, a lawyer, an engineer, an IT whiz, and midway through your career, you could say, well, I want to teach. And it might only be for five years, but New South Wales is offering $30,000 payments for people to go back to uni and do a one or two year master's degree to retrain as a teacher. And that is also going to help fill that very big skill shortage in STEM, which is a science, uh, technology, engineering and math subjects. We've seen teachers marching on parliaments demanding better wages and conditions. What about that? Is there any movement there? New South Wales has budged. Initially, they offered 2.5% and now they're offering over 6% over two years. This falls far short of what the teachers are demanding because they want their wages to keep up with inflation. And they do talk about very uh, large workloads that are causing burnout, particularly in the pandemic. uh, A lot of teachers were having to teach children in a classroom and then deal with another bunch of students online. And I think that's been quite draining for them. However, I think we do need to remember that teachers get up to 12 weeks a year of holidays and their hours of actually being at the school, you know, nine till three, it might be sort of eight till four, but they're not having to work the 12 hour days on site with four or five weeks holidays that most other workers have to, to deal with. Natasha, how are we to interpret the level of dissatisfaction that's out there amongst teachers? Every second week, you read an account from a teacher of dealing with out-of-control students, of of kids vaping in the playground, mobile phones are rampant, pay is not good enough. I mean, are things actually that bad in classrooms or not? What's your assessment? 
I think classrooms are a lot more disruptive than they were in the past because we have a social media, we have the gaming, we have kids texting on their mobile phones, so many more distractions and so many more pressure points for kids to act up. The other problem is that parents, perhaps these children's grandparents, stayed at home and helped their kids with their homework and they came home from school at three and they had you know, a snack. These days you've got both parents working and so there's so much pressure in houses and that sort of spills into classrooms as well. Natasha Beda is The Australian's education editor. China is inching closer to lifting its two-year ban on Australian coal. That's big news for the new foreign minister, Penny Wong, who's being praised by the Chinese foreign ministry for creating a more positive dynamic. That story, plus all the nation's best news, politics, business and sport, is available right now at theaustralian.com.au. Hey, I'm Felicity Harley and I host Healthy-ish, where we chat to experts, influencers and people in the know from around the globe to arm you with the knowledge to make healthier decisions for your mind, body and soul. I think if we're going to be focusing on health, like sleep is probably the biggest component oh, of that. I, I think sleep is the cornerstone. Like choose the harder option because I've never woken up and gone, I regret that run that I went at 4am. I've never done that. Search for Healthy-ish and Extra Healthy-ish wherever you get your podcasts.